Welcome to the Wiggly podcast from the Wiggly Sofa in Lower Blakemere, Herefordshire. I'm Heather from Wiggly Wigglers. And I'm Richard from Wiggly Wigglers. And I'm Farmer Phil. This week we're going to find out about Ricardo's lambs. You've had a few problems, haven't you, Rich? Yeah, yeah, same about the old lambs situation, really. It's interesting one. You know, I've kind of delved into a bit of sheep breeding this year. Well, just toying with it. What, what happened is a friend of mine... A lovely bloke called Richard Wallace, who lives in just below me in the village, said, look, Rich, I'll, I'll come and look after you this year and uh, I'll nurture you through all your cheap problems and then you'll get an idea of what to do subsequent years. And I said, fine, because I got Karen's uh, Rylands last year and I dug her a vegetable patch and I had a sheep in exchange, which is a good little, good little deal. So I put these and, and it, what Richard did was put a Texel tub in with the Rylands in November when I was away in Guyana last year. And these Rylands have been going fatter and fatter and fatter all the time. You know, I'm kind of thinking, I'm not sure when they're going to have their lambs. Kept checking them, so on and so forth. Anyway, one night, it was last week, a week before last, I went down to Berkshire to do a talk, right? Didn't get home till after midnight. My goslings that I'd hatched, I'd left outside, so I thought, right, I'm going to get... Because it was still quite cold, you know? So I thought, I'm going to go and get the goslings in. So I went up the garden, got the goslings, brought those back in, into the house, in the warm. And I thought, ah, oh, shall I go and check the sheep? And uh, no, Sarah hadn't mentioned anything, the waters hadn't broken or anything like that, so I thought I won't, I won't check. Anyway, I went to bed, draw the curtains in the morning, I looked across the paddock, there were two lovely little lambs there feeding under the mother. And as I looked across to the left, I could see this white object and it wasn't moving at all. So anyway, I went down into the field to check, and sure enough, two little live lambs doing extremely well, and one dead lamb. And I walked down the field, a bit further down the field, another dead lamb. I thought, well, it's, it's kind of weird that they both given birth on the same night anyway, um, in my huge flock of two sheep. Uh, but they both given birth to the same night, they both given birth to twins. Unfortunately, two were perfectly healthy, two were absolutely stone dead. So, off the different news. Off, off the different news, yeah. yeah. So, the, the one ewe had given birth to two perfectly healthy, yeah. um, lovely, lovely looking lambs, really robust, but t- quite texel like, more texel than, than Ryland. And the other two were um, you know, stone dead. So the one ewe was kind of pestering the, the, other, the other lambs. So I had to separate them. I picked up the two little lambs and took them down into the shed and put the ewe with them and, and had to separate her for a while. And it's very sad. And I, uh, I, had to, I buried the lambs, you know, and I'm thinking when I was burying them, I'm kind of thinking, oh, God, you know, what I'm doing this. And really what I should be doing is, is watching them suckle under their mother. So that's, I mean, this is always the way, when, I mean, when you've got livestock, you've got dead stock. And it's like Richard said, he, he will have had a trailer load of dead lambs through his lambing season, really. But and not he's 50%. Got a, he's got, but not 50%, no. And anyway, he said, well, the reason was he probably just had a, you know, they had a difficult birth, a difficult, long, prolonged labour. And consequently, that's why they died. And, uh, and, and it, was a, it, was, it was very sad anyway. But, you know, I was trying to concentrate on, a, on the positive. And what we have got, ultimately, are two very healthy Ryland Texel crosses. So I've increased my flock by 100% overnight. <laughs> I mean, I could have had 200%, uh, 200% uh, lambing if the others had survived. But it is hard, though, isn't it? When, you, when you've yeah. got down to just a few like that. I mean, as you know, Heather, I get to help one or two neighbours with various cattle. And if something goes wrong and you've only got three cows and you lose a calf, or I mean, it's bad enough when, when we have a problem. I, I would just have to say, Rich, that sadly it's uh, not legal to bury the lambs. Because, oh, isn't it? Uh, yeah, only right. if they're pets. Oh, don't tell Defra then. If, if they're pets, you can bury them. Okay. But if, if they're not the pets, pets you're not allowed to bury them. So you can, how did you find pets and non-pets? Ask Defra. Okay. I'm, only, I'm only reciting <laughs> their highly yeah. sensible and well-thought-out rules, but yeah. it's illegal. I know. Yeah. Have you named the sheep? No. 
They're I'll not name pets. Them, <laughs> Although they were, <laughs> Karen apparently did give them names, but I don't want to name them because ultimately, you know, the lambs, the, the textile riding crosses, we're not going to. We might keep one of the ewes because two that died, one was a ram lamb, one was a ewe lamb, the two that lived are both ewe lambs. So I think we'll probably end up keeping one um, and eat one, but maybe we'll eat both. So, yeah. shall we hear the, the other Richard's prognosis? Yes. So I, uh, I picked these up. This morning I'll just put them in this bag. They're, uh, they are good lambs, aren't they? It's a shame, isn't it? I don't know what, what's, uh, what the problem is. I mean, they were, when I got to them, they were already cold, you know, so... That's uh, it's a real tragedy. Oh, lovely lamb, isn't it? Yeah, they're lovely big lambs. Real texels too. What? Um, That's a ram lamb. Oh, okay. So that would have been a nice, nice ram lamb. What's that? A lamb. That's a you, right? Why would they have died? Do you think? You know, lamb and lamb stuff. Is that what it was? Right. So perhaps if I'd have gone down in the night time, middle of the night, and see what happens sometimes. Them. They, um, you know, if there's a leg back or <coughs> come through properly, or yeah. Kind of sadness seems to uh, the sadness of the dead ones. So you kind of you've got to be careful; it doesn't outweigh the happiness of the live ones. But anyway, you've got to. Uh, yeah. You would have had uh, two hundred percent lambing if you did. Yeah, that is that is true. I mean, I suppose you just have to put it down to experience, don't you? All this kind of this new stuff. But uh, you do lose them. That's the problem, like you know, and it never gets any easier. Like I said to you the other week, we lost one of our best ewes just in the night like. And I was drenched in one day and on her back dead the next. Yeah. Nothing wrong, but just couldn't get off. Yeah. That's sad, isn't it? And that happens. There's nothing, I suppose, you've done, you've done your best as well, really. You've kept an eye on things. And That's it. I'll come and give these a vaccine next week, because <laughs> chances are one might die with pasturella or uh, pulpy kidney. So, uh, right, yeah. We'll give them a... We don't want that, do Seven we? Seven in one jab next week. Oh, uh, right. Fantastic. Okay, that's superb. I appreciate that. Yeah, I came down and there was one... Yeah. Yeah, there was one dead here, at the top here. The two live ones were here with the ewe and the other dead one was all the way down here by the shed. You know, and the thing is, they were fine. I mean, up until 10 o'clock last night, there was no indication that they were going to give birth at all. No, no, that's right. It's... And, uh, you know, this morning I literally came to the window, looked down across the paddock as I do, and there were the two lambs, and I could see them, you know. And yeah, lots of milk. I put, um, <clears throat> so I put her in here, and she's... I'll have a look now and see if they've suckled. I should, probably the best thing to do is to close the door on this one. Do you think so? Yeah, lots of hard on the other you, then. Are these fine, these two, then? They're all right. There's nothing wrong with those. They're good lambs, people. They are good lambs, aren't they? That's a ewe lamb? Right. And that's a ewe lamb? Oh, well, so we'll keep those two, then. Lock of four. Lock of four, yeah, we'll keep these two. And, uh, I mean, I put this nice bit of straw. You know this straw was Dick's, you know? Yeah. It's been here since he, since well before he died. So it's probably like a ten-year-old... Ten-year-old hay and straw. <laughs> not much nutritional value in it, but it, it's, it's all right for bedding. So what's that you're doing now then? I'm just going to put this iodine on them just to stop them taking up any infection up through the umbilical cord. Oh, I see. Okay, you just spray that around the, just the base of the umbilical cord halfway down the bodies. They're big lambs, though, aren't they? I mean, they are chunky little guys. They're lovely lambs. 
I can well, yeah, put smell the iron. Stock and tie <laughs> then when you put them out, you might stop the <laughs> the fox getting on them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. So what's that stuff you're putting on the back of his neck? Just stock on tar. Stock on tar. And it just smells disgusting, sufficient to keep foxes away from. It'll just keep the foxes off them, hopefully. Whether it works, but we do it as a precaution. I put this big bucket of water in here as well this morning, she got her right into that and started supping away like a good one. And she was obviously really thirsty. Oh yeah, she'll they'll drink. You wanna give her some cake then? Yeah, I did give her some cake this morning as well, so I'll give her a bit more in a bit. How much can I give her? You got any other good hay? No. Um, so she'll pick up what she wants. Not good hay. No, I've got like lots of hay, but it's all quite old. But I mean, it's. You know, well, if you've know. got you nuts, if you're going to keep her in till tomorrow or the next, I should keep her in for over the weekend because okay. this one you're going to try and take off with one of these lambs. Yeah, yeah. So I'll just keep this door shut. Keep her in keep here. Her in there. And how much you nuts will I give her a day? I'll give her a feed or twice a day. Right. Um, what, give her sort of one double apples? double handful in the morning, one double handful at night. Okay. That'll be yeah. fine then. We'll, we'll, we'll get her back in here and get them away from that other year. Yeah. Such a shame. I mean, she's very sad, isn't she? I'll vaccinate them for you and I'll put um, a band on their tails, look. Right. You don't want tails. No. No, you, I suppose we need to need to do that. So what, will you come back in the weekend? Yeah, I'll come back in, well, in the weekend. End give me a shout when I'll come down with you. And you can shut them in here and then we'll give them a jab. Okay. A seven-in-one injection. So how long shall I leave them inside for now? Well, I should leave them in for a couple of days. Right. Otherwise this you will... Um, she'll try and... She'll uh, try and take them off, you see. Right, right. But this you mother, that, you know... Yeah. When, when she sort of, um, she's got plenty of milk, do you think, this one, this you? Well, we'll have her over now and have a look. Come on, boy. They're good lambs, they've suckled all right, so you've got no worries that way. Right. So when you say suckled all right, you mean they've already been at the milk and the yeah, udder? And... All right, they've had colostrum. Right. They'll live all right, they'll be... This time next week, they'll be big, strong lambs. Oh. Right. No, you thirsty, you want some water. Yeah, she oh. does, yeah. Let me get out of your way. Come on, girl. Come on, then. Come on, in you come. In you go, girl. In you go. Come on, then. In you go. Lots of milk. No. So you just tipped her over on the belly and mm. squirting the milk across the shed. So yeah, I mean the udders are definitely pretty full. That's not too bad actually. It's not as dark as I thought it would be in here. And I made I made oh, no, this um, shed done. fox proof as well because I've dug the wire in right the way around the outside. Oh, yeah. So. So I'll leave them in here now then, yeah? Yep, leave I'll them in back. there until Monday or something. But as long as you give them plenty to... Uh... Oh, the milk on that one. Oh, it's a shame, isn't it? That's just all wasted milk now. So you're milking that one out, are you? Just to... Take a bit of pain off her, are Right. You'll probably have to milk her again. Okay. So I just... Can I... Do you want me you to try it? Milk milker if you like. Yeah, so what, what do I do? Just, do you know, can I just hold on to that for me. I'm dirty now. Well, just hold on the edge of the right, 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 yeah. clean cloth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so I just put my hand here, quite lift it on the, on the edder like that. And, oh yeah, squirt it like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's really straightforward. Okay, oh, what a shame, all this wasted stuff. Oh, look at all that. Well, it looks so nutritious as well. 
Yeah, so if you, you milk her out a couple of times, it'll take you this quite painful. Right, so milk her out what, uh, well, you don't have to end of today as well. So she won't be any good next year. No, I don't know. So I'll milk her out again, what, later on today, tonight? No, no, leave her for a couple of days and then milk her out, you know, just to take the pressure off it. Okay. It'll dry up on its own then. Right. If you milk her out too much, you'll keep milking. That's all right, she's ticked down now. And then Spit do on this one as well? Or, uh, you know, lubricate your fingers. And then just take a bit off that one. Take a bit off this one as well. It's blocked out of the end as well. It's just releasing. It's like a cap, is it, on the end of it? Oh, it's like a oh, cap of wax in there. Right. I suppose that's what keeps it in situ while the. Well, it stops the infection stops getting it. into oh, the artery, you see. Not too bad, actually. I should leave. Is there anything else we need to do with her? 24 hours, no. Can't do anything else. Right. Um, just pull that bush over, and that'll do. And just let her go. Well, that's shame. Do a lot of Spent all that five months holding those babies, and now, uh, mm. unfortunately, that's, uh, that's why there's so many cullews in the market. Right. You know, yeah. You'll see the market will be full of cullews after lambing yeah. because they're ones that have lost lamb. Yeah. Well, I spoke to a friend of mine this morning. And I said, um, I said about it, you know, and she said, oh, well, I'm afraid that's just the way with sheep, Rich. That's so. the farming, that is. But if you, they're good lambs, I'm chuffed to bits with them. I mean, they are lovely, lovely aren't they? You've got four ewes now, hopefully, if they yeah, survive. Yeah, four ewes, yeah. Well, they're, 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 there's nothing wrong with them, but uh, they won't vaccinate him with a seven-in-one, really. Right, OK. Because um, they might go down and they might get pastoral pneumonia, you see. OK. Well, so uh, we can do that in a week? Yeah, give him a jab in the week. And I'll put this, uh, I'll just put this hurdle against there, and this poor old girl, can, at least she won't have the distraction of the other one for the... But I would give that to... Uh, give her a... Maximum of a two pound, two, uh, two pound of cake so a day. Just, yeah, if you've got a kitchen scale, just weigh it, and you know how much then. Put her, give her a two pound in the morning, pound at night for a few days. Okay, we'll do. Uh, Ideally, she wanted a bit of feed while she was out here for a week or so, but she'll be all right. I was, um, I was sort of. That once you'll get fatter. Yeah, no, I was popping down in the evenings and giving them a bit of, you know, uh, kind of uh, three or four handfuls. Well, they wanted the with evenings. those twins, you see. Yeah. Okay, it's such a shame though. I mean, do you think it was that then the reason they died is just purely because they, it was you know they were in she was in labour for too long. Lambing on too, too long, or sometimes when the um, when they lamb they drop them on the floor and then you get the afterbirth will be round the nose. Yeah. And uh, they don't take it from mouth, so they suffocate really quickly. Right. You know, if they don't, if there's a skin over the nose, they they don't last long. No. Like having a child with a plastic bag. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. Oh well, I suppose we just put it down to experience. Oh, you'll lose them, you'll lose more. <laughs> Every year you. Yeah. We've never gone through a lambing season yet without losing a few. Well, I'll, um, well, we'll keep those two anyway, and then we'll hopefully we'll have a little, nice little flock of four now. So. Yeah, that's how next you see why it's just lamb. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. You have to buy a bigger freezer. No, I appreciate you coming I, out. I've anyway. done now. They've they've had stuff, so they won't pick up E. coli infection, and hopefully they won't pick up any joint problems through the umbilical cord. So right, excellent. So at least you'll have a, your flock has increased by well doubled, effectively. Doubled in, <laughs> overnight. by 100 percent overnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting stuff. I mean, it's amazing to look out the window this morning and see the lambs there because I thought, my God, we've got lambs. Yeah. It's a funny thing though, those are out of Rylands, but they're not, they didn't look a lot of difference if they were in our flock out of Wife Mule. They've got a big head, haven't they, for a, 
Well, they're, they, you know, they got they're that really dominant Texel head in them, though. Yeah. 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 It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I I spoke to someone the other day that breeds. Uh, I said, I, you know, a friend of mine, a you know, and he said that after a couple of times, you just probably breed the woolly face out of them if you did it. If you kept putting the text on oh, with them, yeah, you just... Did them, I don't think you'll have a lot of woolly face in them now. No. This looks as though I thought they'd be more woolly than that. Yeah. But they were certainly, if anything, the text was more dominant than the... Um, in the Ryland. Than the Ryland. Yeah. But, um, they're a good mother and they're a good milky ewes. Yeah. The text are very good milking sheep. Right. So right. you'll have some two nice ewes there. They'll be... Yeah, good. You've got a couple of ewes worth 80 or 90 pounds next year there. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Only thing is, we'll have to be careful that we don't use the same ram because no, we don't have to be defeating the object. Yeah, we'll that's have to right. I yeah. got one great big one and an older one, but he's from a totally different farm. So. Right, right. We'll, we'll see. Float by ear. Well, that's the ideal scenario, isn't it? Uh, yeah, like you say, you need to sort of mix it up. But I think it'd be nice to have. Ultimately, it'd be nice to have six ewes, probably, and then that, that that's fine then, because they'll be all right in this paddock, won't they? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimately, I'm going to section this off um, just now. I think I'm going to run an electric fence down there because there's sufficient grazing on part of this, and then probably leave this to go for hay and uh, get Sace to give him the hay and just keep a few bales over for us. I wouldn't bother if I was you. No. Well, you just won't use any hay because we don't. I don't make any hay now, and I've got a thousand sheep. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bother. So just you. just leave him on there. Well, on the whole you thing. can go down to Webb's then and Mordiford and buy them five or six really nice bales you know for what ten pounds or whatever right you won't they won't eat any hay right. these ewes will our ewes don't eat any hay anymore right and use it i don't i expect we use 90 pounds last year but between 1200 sheep okay not uh, much it's not worth you making any yeah you'll right. find that you'll want some grass out there if you're going to keep six ewes they'll keep that down two acres two ewes per acre oh well that's probably it then isn't it hmm. you won't want any more than four out there really and their lambs like you get sick, you'll have more lamb than you can cope with. Yeah. And then you'll have to um, take them to the market then. Yeah. Well, that's it, and it's more yeah, and more fiddling it's worth, isn't it? Then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want, don't want to bother that. But I no, I wouldn't bother with hay, Richard. All right. Because, I um, won't bother. I'll just leave him on there. By the time he gets up here and bales it, and he'll charge you for doing it, you can go and buy ten bales of the best hay for half the money. Oh, that's it then. Nice one. Oh well. I'll let you go. Hey, Rich, thank you for that. Most appreciated. See you anon. Speak to you. See you. Yeah, I'll see you. Well, I'll see you later next in the next week, middle of next week or something. You'll have to shut them in or something. Just let me know when you're about and I'll. Well, we're going to have the hours in next week and vaccinate them also. Okay. All right, fabulous. Nice one. Cheers, Rich. Hey, Rich, that brings up an interesting idea, though, doesn't it, with regard to people that have got tiny flocks compared to larger farmers with regard to welfare. Mm. Because in some senses, you know, is it best to have a small amount of sheep and leave them fairly natural, or is it best to kind of intensify it and uh, manage them in a more managed way? How do you mean? Well, what I mean is the NFU at the moment have got various issues with hobby farmers and their point is that perhaps the welfare isn't as good as it might be in a more commercial flock. Really? Because, yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, no, it's not ridiculous. Actually, that's a very good point because with your two sheep, you quite reasonably said, well, I don't think they're going to lamb. I, I won't go and look at them. And that's, that's fine. I haven't got any issues with that. But if you're lambing a flock of 300 ewes, 
you're in the shed lambing. Yeah. You won't miss any. You'd know then, wouldn't you? And yeah. so that, yeah. that, that's the sort of thing that oh, okay. intensification can improve the welfare. I think generally speaking, though, I mean, smallholders are, are going to be much more caring about their animals because it's done on, on, on a, a smaller scale and it, they're not doing I, it. I'm not having that. Well, they don't that's, use... That's, that really winds me up because... Uh, no, 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 because there are... You can't, you can't say that. That is not on. No, no, it's not... <laughs> I had this point a thumbs up, thinking, hey, here we no, go, there's a, there's I'm a man coming. absolute No, listen to my point first. No, point you've got to retract. Phil, Phil you know exactly, you know that there are farmers around here within a three-mile radius that have been reported to the RSPCA, who you might well yourself report them to the RSPCA, that abuse their animals to the extent where they're, they're in an awful state. Fair so comment. you know that's absolutely correct. So the point I'm trying to make is, I mean, there are always exceptions to the rule, Phil, and I know your animal husbandry is second to none. But what I'm saying is, if people have got, generally smallholders have other forms of income. So smallholding is in conjunction with, with, with a, a main income. So you're not treating your smallholding as a commercial enterprise. So you don't have that detachment that some farmers have with their commercial enterprise. I mean, you could not tell me that a commercial chicken farmer has any emotional attachment to anything that leaves its farm in terms of livestock. Um, it's different for you because you um, have a, a flock rich, of... Uh, you rich, have a, a hold on. I've, I've got to have a go Which now. are quite tactile. You know, you spend some time no, in your shed. I've got to have a go now because... You've had your go, you, Over to Farmer Phil. You are falling into the trap that, in my view, politicians fall into where they say that all farmers are the same. That is not the case. Farmers are individuals. Now, I confess... Yes, no, no, just let me that. have no, my say a trap. No, but I will, because otherwise I'll forget what, what you've just said and then leave it. But I haven't not, said it yet. So I'm not, falling into the, <laughs> I'm not falling into the trap of putting all farmers in the same category. You just have. Because I know that there are different farmers. I right. know farmers are now very let me make people. my point. Having said that, I confess that nobody's going to form a great emotional attachment with a chicken. But... I think you will find that amongst some smallholders make my point. Trying to say, I think you will find that the better commercial stock farmers care for their sheep or their cattle and and their chickens and their chickens. Probably, I don't know much about chickens, but sheep and cattle, if they are cared for and healthy, and their stock keeper looks after them. There will be none better looked after, smallholder or otherwise, because commercial success depends on health and well-being. Right. I but do think you I, can't generalise. I would, and I won't have it that commercial farming is bad for welfare. That is not true. There I, are some practices I don't agree with, and there are some farmers I don't agree with. But you cannot, and I will not yeah, allow so you no, to well, generalise. I'm not saying that it is bad for welfare. You're putting words into my mouth now. You're saying, I mean, the original argument was the NFU are concerned about smallholders in animals kept in a, a small environment, a small, relatively small domestic environment, rather than a large agricultural environment. I mean, that, there are, there's well, obviously a distinction between the two things. Can I just say something? Because I think you've both got really good points, but the thing that you're missing here is the fact of the matter is that if you're a small farmer who has got your farm as a hobby, then it is completely logical that you cannot look at those stock as much and they're not as high on your agenda which is the NFU's point. And I think it's a very naive view to have that because you're a very small farmer that all is rosy in the garden. You've just proved that in actual fact you've lost 50% of your herd. Now I defy that to happen in a commercial herd because that person would have to look at that stock all the time. Yeah, but I may, I may saying, have lost 50% of the flock, but 
you know, what's the chances of having a 200% increase in flock? You know, you've got to yeah. look at it on both sides. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but I'm not relatively. saying that... I'm not accusing you of anything. What I'm saying is that it doesn't make it rosy in the garden to have two sheep. You know, it doesn't make it that you've got a better welfare issue. You have and to I be... think it's good to question both elements... The, the large farmer? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't and think... But you see, I don't think that is the case. But, I mean, I, I do think that the NFU, because uh, of their, obviously, their propensity towards thinking that all farmers are great and uh, they're obviously that they are, they're politically bound to represent their farmers in a positive... all their members in a positive way, regardless of the behaviour of some of their members, because we know for a fact that there are NFU members that behave appallingly but of course they they have to represent themselves in a certain way in order for the people to to appreciate but i mean i appreciate that lots of farmers do really look after their animals i'm with you on the <clears throat> politics of it but I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples your sheep and i i wouldn't you know i'm also with you on the disappointment and the sadness of having a pair of, of dead lambs mm. but in a commercial flock those sheep would have been scanned so that you would have known several things you'd have known pretty accurately when they were going to lamb. You would also have known that they'd got twins in both of them and you would have fed them accordingly. And I know, round here, I know of several people who have so-called pet lambs or or whatever and they kill them with kindness. They are so over-fat that they drop dead of heart failure. That, you know, they turn them out into their little paddock and you have two lambs that exist in two acres and they eat their heads off until they just get so fat that they nearly burst. Yeah. It, you know, this isn't animal husbandry. And whilst I wouldn't criticise your animal husbandry at all, you know, I just think that's sod's law and it's, it's real sad. In a decent commercial flock, the serving date of those two sheep would be known and they would be scanned so you know how many lambs are in each sheep and they would have been fed accordingly, not that I suspect that that was your problem, but the commercial welfare would be much easier to manage than trying to pinpoint when something's going to happen in two sheep. As you say, you're working elsewhere, you've got loads of other stuff on. It's a really interesting concept. I like to know what other people think. And if you'd like to email us, you can email... Richard at wigglywiggers.co.uk or pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk. Just, just leave it until, uh, until the end of June. <laughs> <laughs> don't you want to know till then, Rich? Uh, no, I, I, I just don't have any more time. <laughs> leave, leave me alone until then. Oh, email then. me then, uh, heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. I'd really like to hear what you think, because I think that there's a real tendency to label these issues because you're big, you're this, because you're commercial, this, and because you're a small holder, that makes it absolutely fine. But I think there's issues in all these areas, and it's questions. Because sometimes, if you do keep things all up together, you do get better welfare. I know for a fact... That's why the chicken housing has become like it is. Not only because they wanted to produce cheap meat, but because they thought that welfare issues Mm. would be easier to manage. Mm. Anyway, spuds, darlings, spuds. You've still got a chance to claim your free bag of seed potatoes. Rich, you know all about growing spuds in car tyres, and I think we should make a video about it. Shall we? I think that would be a good one, wouldn't it? Actually, there's a kind of piece of cake to do that, and sometimes a free planter as well. You know, if you go down to your local tyre place, then I'm sure they're more than happy to offload a few. Although I think tyres are listed now, probably by 
by uh, DEFRA has, uh, has, or the EA, whichever one's responsible for that kind of thing, has had this waste. But so, if you, you go know. to when you, um, and say, when you go to the tyre place, Rich, yeah. and have a pair of tyres on your car, yeah. if you look closely at your bill, you will see a charge for the tyres, and then you will see a charge for the environmental disposal of your car tyre. Is that right? Those tyres belong to you. If you wish to take them home, uh, right, you so will right. A, save yourself two or three quid a tyre, yeah, yeah. and B, you will have yourself a free potato uh, planter. Yeah. Also, I believe that as an individual, if you c- go to a farm or to a tyre shop and ask for tyres, then they are a resource. So when you carry them home, as long as they're your dad then your tyre, it's fine. I've set loads of compost bins up, you know, using lids off of uh, 40-gallon drums and uh, car tyres and um, community allotments and things like that. So uh, they, they, they make for great compost bins. Cause they're no, they don't, of, Kind of black, and they? No, oh, no, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. Because no, no, we sell no, those, no. don't we? <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell you what tractor tyres make, yeah. Rich. They make great sand pits for the kids. Yeah. They're fantastic, yeah, they are. Yeah, stunning, yeah. Anyway, if you want your free seed potatoes to grow your own in your tyre, which would be the best ones to grow in a tyre, Rich? I think I wish to ask you which tyres are the best ones to grow in. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Michelin That's or Goodyear. Those low, low profile ones. <laughs> well, if you pr- expensive ones. Rich, I feel like you're getting your value for if money. You, if you promote the Pirelli ones, <laughs> then they might send you one of their nice calendars, which I know you'd appreciate. Yeah, I know that. I'd go well in the, my office full of women, wouldn't it? I'd be the only one that would appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, Which um, spuds, I well, I'll tell you what, any spuds really, pretty much. But I'm going to try this year, I'm going to try some pink fir apples in, uh, in uh, well, chimney pots I was going to use. Any but, um, we'll, we'll get some. We'll get some going in tyres as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, try this pink fir. Pink fir, because it's quite a relatively small potato anyway. Um, so if we start them off, and then of course it, it's a piece of cake to just keep putting one tyre on top of the other and just, as soon as the head of the potato, uh, you can see it coming through, you just cover the poor old thing up again and, and wait for it to come through. Terry and I did a little feature about potatoes because Terry was starting off some new potatoes in his greenhouse. Probably be, we, we might not be far off harvesting them now, you know. Terry Walton. Terry Walton, yeah. I'd be interested to see how they're, how they're going. In fact, I'm going down, I'm probably going to go down hopefully on Sunday to do uh, the next podcast with him and be interested to see if, if he's ready to harvest his nice little salad potatoes. So come on, Wiggly listeners, dearest listeners, see if you can grow some free spuds. If you key in SO841 into the quick search when you place your next Wiggly order, you'll get some free seed spuds as long as you are listening in 2008, May and June. And what about seeing how many tons of spuds we can grow? Because I worked out that Wiggly customers over the last five years have probably taken over 10,000 tonnes of waste out of the waste stream between worm composting, bakashi and garden composting. Oh, really? That's a lot, isn't it? That's amazing. Because with planter-grown spuds, Rich, you can keep harvesting them, can't you? You get far more out of one plant yeah, than you, you can. do. You don't dig it all up. No, no, you? you can just go rummaging, especially if it's like nice soft compost. You can go rummaging around and just pick a few Because uh, it'll just keep, along. keep generating tubers. You know, so regrow that... a few. I mean, there's obviously a point to which that, that'll happen. But, yeah, no, you can leave them and certainly leave them in the ground, you know. Mm. Now, we've had all these bee questions, haven't we? Bees, 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 and the fact that bees have got problems and they could be wiped out and there's only this many species of bumblebees left and there's varroa mm. and is it notifiable and defra playing up and they don't know what's going on. They're depleting the bee inspectors. There's only 50, they said, but actually there's 46. They've gone part-time. They're only working three months of the year. Whew. Did you find out all about it? I did. I did. I, I get a lot, I'm asked a lot about bees. 
Unfortunately, um, BBC Gardener's World came up and they wanted to film me. They wanted me to talk about bees when Jodie and I were setting up the show at, at Malvern, but I had to go and do a talk, so um, you I was kind of... the BBC. I was away, I'd, I'm afraid I had Darling. to. I had to turn them down on that occasion, <laughs> but uh, uh, the uh, Turley uh, WI were more important that <laughs> oh, night. Oh, no! <laughs> well, you, so, you chose Turley WI instead of Rachel de Tate. Yeah, well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a choice. It was more of a... It was uh, cow it was, it was more of a sense of duty, I think. Uh, so we didn't want to let people down. So, uh, you know, consequently, I can't be in two places at once. I am only one man, after all. So uh, <clears throat> I had to, uh, to go off. And, but, so anyway, we didn't get a chance. But we have done... We, you know, we've done a stint about bees on, on BBC Gardens World Live before, haven't we? BBC Gardens World, rather, before. But anyway, I was talking to a really interesting guy... At the Worcestershire beekeepers had there at a, at a trade stand at the, at the spring show, and I went to talk to Watty all about things like chronic colony collapse and the like. Well, I've wandered down into um, one of the big sheds at Malvern Spring Show, and just before it's about to get steaming hot today, and I wandered down to the Worcestershire Beekeepers Association now. I came down here yesterday and I, I spoke to a chap called Watty Slighthome. Is that right? Is that the proper yes. pronunciation? Yeah, what's Watty uh, short for? Uh, Watty short for Watson. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. OK, that's, that's a great name, you know. That's my Christian name. Right. A lot of people don't believe me, but it is. Fantastic. Are you, uh, what's your position with the Worcestershire Beekeepers Association? Well, I, I'm actually with the Kidderminster branch. Oh, OK. But uh, I'm also on the executive committee. Right, right. And you find yourself for coming the, out to this nas- kind of event? For the National Honey Show, actually. Oh, OK. Yeah, I'll, I'll cover all that. Well, there's two of us cover it. Right, right. Yeah. And you come out to these kind of things and talk to people about I, significance I, I, of I, I love my bees and I, I love showing people think I'm mad, but, you know... Yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps you are, <laughs> It's no bad thing, is it? You've got a fantastic display of of honeybees working away in a clear perspex display there up front. That's wonderful children to to look at. I notice some of the kids having a look at them now. But you know, I'm constantly getting asked about the significance of bees and what's happening to bees in the UK. And I'm conscious that wild bee populations are are all but gone. Yes, there is. I mean, the bumblebees have drop no end in yeah. quantity yeah. and I mean they do more work actually than our bees do right because right. they'll, they'll come out at lower temperatures is it true to say that uh, that honeybees are probably below wild honeybee swarms probably below their biological limits now are we looking at uh, you know uh, down the barrel of a gun are we looking at wild honeybees being pretty much extinct yes you can say that yes right, right. for the simple reason that this for rower mites that we've got here. Yeah. It's come over from Asia. Right. The wild bees, it's killing them off. Right. Same as it's trying to kill ours off in the yeah. hives. But we can treat ours. Yeah. And keep it down below a certain level. Yeah. But of course the wild bees can't manage that and no. they're just disappearing. And I suppose they're not they're not physically prepared to defend off varroa mites like the bee populations where no, varroa originated. Where it originated from, the bees over there, they groom one another. Right. And in the grooming, they actually pull the mites off one another and they drop off and die. Right, OK. But our bees don't do the grooming. Right, right. Except for grooming the queen, they don't groom they don't themselves groom at all. Well, that's interesting. And of course, there's another there's another thing, and I listened to a couple of people talking about it on the Jeremy Vine show a couple of weeks ago. The chap, I, I can't remember his name now, but he was representing the Beekeepers Association, and he was talking about chronic 
colony collapse in bees. Now I spoke to you yesterday and you had a really neat idea about why you think that occurs oh, yes. because no one really knows for sure do they? They don't know for sure no and we don't know a lot about it. I mean this is just an opinion of my own. Right. Normally a bee life is governed by its flying time not with age like we are. Okay. Bees normally or they used to cluster in October Right. for the winter and you wouldn't see them till the following spring right right but now they're flying all through the winter okay so by the time February comes when they want to start flying they're dying off because they've already flown the life away sort of thing right right plus the fact that when they clustered tight even in the winter there's a, a few odd bees being bred all the time only a, one or two at a time but because the cluster's tight and the temperature's there. Yeah. With them breaking the cluster to fly through the winter, the queen won't lay because it isn't warm enough. Right, okay. And so there's no young bees to fill the gap like, you know. Right, I see. And that's what I think is causing a lot of it. That's only my personal stuff. opinion. That no, sounds, sounds yes. quite, quite plausible though, you know. Yes. Because of course it's something that, that's, I mean, certainly in North America they've suffered from terribly, haven't they? Oh, they have, yes, yeah. I mean, I've got a friend who lives up at Cleal and he's got friends over there because he used to work there at one time. Okay. He said it's devastating to see it. Right. They're quite worried, aren't they, on the quiet? Yes, yeah. Because, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying with, um, you know, bumblebees, for instance, yeah. um, and all the solitary bees make up a considerable concerted effort in terms of pollinating all our plants. But, you know, honeybees have been relied on for... for generations haven't they yes, you know you yes. take your hives into orchards and you know into, into heathers and things like that in order to encourage all these crops to pollinate I that's mean, right yes. what would happen if rapeseed oil for instance i mean how successful would rapeseed oil crops be if the honeybee uh, disappeared you'd probably lose about 50 percent of it right it's a lot isn't the, it there's flies and different mites you know that yeah. will do it to a certain extent but yeah. nothing like the honeybee does what other problems are poor old honeybees faced with at the moment? Well, uh, you've, all, you've always got the threat of your fell brood right. diseases, but we've had those for, well, as long as I can remember anyway. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. So those are relatively treatable then? You can tell. Uh, they are. The those. one is now up to a certain extent, but at one time, if you, they got these fell brood diseases, we used to have to just kill the colony. Right. Because there wasn't any treatment at one time. Oh, okay, that's quite sad, isn't it? But the one, they can treat it now, but personally, me, me again, if it was me I'd, and I had it, I would get rid of the colony. Right, yeah, and start afresh. Yes. Take no chances. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's probably a good idea. So what can people do then? If, if folks, I know you've got a petition here. Presumably you're, you're looking for signatures so you can petition government in order That's to, right. to you know, encourage them to, I mean, to do more. They're allowing us so far £200,000 a year <laughs> to feed DEFRA and that, and that's, that's what they're getting out of it themselves. Right, It's right. worked out, you know, what they get off uh, right, okay. taxes and other things. Right, right, right. £165 million. So, so yeah, the, the contribution of our, of our wonderful 
not so humble honeybee is, uh, is, is estimated to be 165 million pounds a year. That's what the government gets out right, of it. Right, right, okay. Yeah. And what they're offering to people like yourself who are doing research and are trying to find the problems associated with uh, this colony collapse and, uh, and other, you know, appalling diseases and problems that bees are faced with is £200,000 a year. Yes. Right. So, right. uh, so I can see why you probably need quite a lot of public support to well, encourage government to... Uh, I must admit we're getting it. It's... Yeah. Well, I've got my little pad over there. Right. And that's only one of three. And I filled... Up until last night, I've filled seven pages. Right, right. And there's 20 on a page. Okay, so, yeah, so you're we're getting, getting there. People getting, are interested. People are... We're getting the marvellous support okay, here from it. Good, good. Oh well, I wish you well, and uh, you know it's been a pleasure talking to you, Watson. Right, thank you very much. Thank Cheers. you. So, Rich, that's fairly serious for, well, British agriculture, worldwide agriculture, the UK gardening. What can we do about bees? It's really, it's really serious. Well, the one thing I always say about bees, I mean, you can safely assume now that honeybees are well below, wild honeybees are well below any biological limits. So we can, I think we can be sure that they're practically extinct. No, really. The only bees, the only honeybees that are around are kept by human beings. That's very dodgy in itself. Bumblebee populations are declining dramatically, but we've got all these little solitary bees, which we, you guys were just talking about. I mean, this year we seem to be inundated with red mason bees and whatnot, trying to find places to start up their nests. So whilst there are, I don't know, a couple of species of honeybee and say if we're lucky, probably 16 species of bumblebee now, six of which are ubiquitous, we've got 247 different species of, of solitary bee, right? And all those little hairy bees will go out and do their level bestest to pollinate our crops in our gardens. But, I mean, obviously land adjacent to those in you know, fields and things like that. They're um, outside our door. <laughs> yeah, you've got loads buzzing Whoa, around, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. And they're harmless as well, aren't they? I mean, people often think, oh, bee boxing, yeah, I can't do that because, you know, kids might get stung. But it's something that you can do and your children can watch this, all this bee activity, toing and froing. And when I talk about this to people, I, I always say that you get just as much pleasure from putting up a bee box as you will a bird box because you can see all this stuff going on. And it is more significant, more ecologically significant to put up a, a bee box and to provide some habitat for solitary bees than it is a bird box, really. You were saying we were just talking about it you were saying rich that you've got a figure on the reduction in oilseed rape yield if there were no bees that it might reduce it to 40 percent yeah i mean that's isn't that that's some sort of that's very dramatic isn't it well there are other crops apples uh, apples field beans yeah. are solely pollinated by beans bees bees beans beans, <laughs> beans. <laughs> and if there are no bees then you will see the face of agriculture change radically yeah and, and that's quite serious and i, I would say that the wow. last 10 years have seen farmers realize that when they do spray insecticides it's critical that they use ones that don't hurt bees and they, yeah. that has been well taken on board yeah, yeah but i know in america the chronic population collapse is far worse than you know that's where it's worst at the moment isn't it that they, yeah. they've, they've experienced it oh, really major badly. problems you know major i mean it's not just you know it's something we kind of think oh yeah bees are in decline and we talk about this you know two out of every three mouthfuls of food you eat is there as a consequence of bee behavior uh, you know if people are worried about food prices escalating now then that ain't going to be nothing compared to what they're going to escalate to if we lose our bees. Because, it, well, it's, the whole thing is completely unviable. I mean, well, there's a, a school of thought that uh, human beings would be no more 
after six years of, of the honeybee becoming extinct. Ooh. So it's, it's worth supporting. The government aren't putting any money into, into researching ways and means of protecting our stocks either. The trouble is, really. Rich, I mean, one of the government ministers the other day, to give you an idea of their breadth of thinking, had, had written a letter suggesting that he wanted to do away with EEC subsidy for farmers because of the escalating cost of food. And I was thinking... That's right. You take away the subsidy from the farmer, so that reduces his income. So what's that going to make him want to do to the cost of the stuff he produces? Yeah, I would right. suggest that he yeah. might want more money for it. Yeah, yeah. And with politicians thinking like that, what hope is there for things like bees, which are critical? Yeah. And research and development, they've closed half the research establishments. There's no money for that. And things like bees, that should be right at the forefront of... I mean, nobody can work out what some of these problems are. Oh, dear listener, aren't you pleased that the boys are back together? They've been out of the room for a quick fisty cuffs earlier when they got a little bit fretty. Out they went, there was a bit of rumpty-bumpty outside. I should say there was. (laughs) 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 Rumpty-bumpty between Phil and I. I'll have you know. (laughs) Fists were there, they were there, right, ramming each other up against the wall. Michael and I broke it up and uh, made them make friends and all is hunky-dory back on the weekly sofa I won though once again this week tune in next week for another row if I can stir one up you'll <coughs> try your bestest <laughs> Rich you said to me you like having a row yeah you well, you know sometimes. and you lost again <laughs> uh, Rich be happy behave have <laughs> bye from me bye from me B from me.